is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. The uh, Republicans and the Democrats are seeking to approve the biggest spending bill in American history. Now, I believe our military has been abused long enough, and they need significant funds. But that's not an excuse to massively expand domestic spending. It was massively expanded under Obama. And it's being massively expanded, should this go through, under Donald Trump. And the one person who has been consistently involved in this under Obama and now Trump is Mitch McConnell. And it's really a disgrace, an absolute disgrace. I don't know if you know this, I mentioned it quickly yesterday. We're going to have a trillion dollars, over a trillion dollars in deficit this year. Just this year. So the fiscal operating debt will be $21 trillion. There's no real efforts to get this spending under control. They are thrilled. And all they do is throw around this word bipartisan, 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 as if that is acceptable. It's not acceptable. You have absolute lunatics like Nancy Pelosi and other leftists who don't, who don't think this is enough. But to look at the last two issues now, spending in the budget and DACA. The Democrats are winning and they're winning big. Now, you can defend the administration's position on this. You can defend Mitch McConnell and tell us this is the best we can do. But I want to talk to you a little bit. I want to talk to you about your family and your children as I did in Plunder and Deceit. And here's what I said. Can we simultaneously love our children but betray their generation and generations yet born? Among the least acknowledged facts of American modernity is the extent to which parents acting in their familial capacity, naturally and tenaciously guard their young children from threat and peril. Right? To the point of risking their own physical and economic security in extreme cases. However, as part of the political and governing community, that is, the ruling generation, our generation, many of these same parents, wittingly and unwittingly, join with other parents in tolerating, if not enthusiastically championing, disadvantageous and even grievous public policies that jeopardize not only their children's future, but the welfare of successive generations. There are accepted norms of behavior, a moral order, a moral order, born of experience and knowledge, instincts and faith, teaching and reason, love and passion, that provide definition for and boundaries between right and wrong, good and evil, and fairness and injustice. Applicable to families, yes, and societies alike. And a harmony of virtuous interests informed by tried and true traditions, customs, values, and institutions, and cultivated within families and the larger community, preserves and improves the human condition, one individual at a time and one generation to the next. Broadly speaking, this is what we call the civil society. Now, to embrace this moral order as parents nurturing their children, Yet to abandon the moral order as members of the ruling generation 
thereby contributing to predictably deleterious public policies with prospectively calamitous outcomes, is a decadence that leads to unstable and potentially oppressive or even tyrannical conditions, which in the end degrade and disassemble the civil society and consume their children's generation and generations beyond. Reformation and recovery may be possible, but difficult and complicated, and typically only after the exaction of an enormous human toll. In modern America, the unraveling of this civil society has been subtly persistent, but it is now intensifying. Evidence of rising utopian statism, that is the allure of political demagogues and self-appointed masterminds, peddling abstractions and fantasies in pursuit of a non-existent paradisiacal society, and the concomitant accretion of governmental power in an increasingly authoritarian and centralized federal leviathan abounds. The ruling generation's governing policies are already forecast to diminish the quality of life of future generations. And among other things, witness the massive welfare and entitlement state, which is concurrently expanding and imploding, and the brazen abandonment of constitutional firewalls and governing limitations. If not appropriately and expeditiously ameliorated, the effects will be dire. And our generation, the ruling generation, we know it. Why do so many loving parents, as part of the ruling generation, abandon the civil society for the growing tyranny of a voracious central government that steals their children's future, thus condemning their children and unborn generations to a dangerously precarious and unstable environment, despite a large majority acknowledging the national decline for which they blame politicians? Parents are constantly thinking about and talking about their own children and interacting with them in their everyday lives. Obviously, children are of flesh and blood, and their existence and condition are reality. Given that the future is not the here and now, and future generations are images or ideas of amorphous groups of strangers, born and unborn, parents apparently can delude themselves that their own children's immediate welfare, which they work to protect and improve, can be detached from the well-being of future generations. This psychology also makes it easier for parents, as part of the ruling generation, to downplay or ignore the longer-term and broader ruinous effects of contemporary public policies and reject any role or responsibility in contributing to them. It is a contradiction that usually originates with governing elites and statists who relentlessly reinforce and encourage it. They self-righteously advocate public policies that obligate future generations' labor and resources to their own real and perceived benefit, empowering governmental abuse via social engineering and economic depredation. They disguise this delinquency as compassionate and premised on good intentions, often insisting their objectives will improve the prospects of those most severely burdened by them, the children. Many in the ruling generation, our generation, have themselves become entrapped in economically unsustainable governmental schemes in which they are beneficiaries of and relying on public programs, such as unfunded entitlements, to which they have contributed significantly into supposed trust funds and around which they have organized their retirement years. They also find self-deluding solace in the politically expedient and deceitful representations by the ruling class, 
which dismisses evidence of its own diversion and depletion of trust funds and its overall maladministration as the invention of doomsayers and scaremongers. Now, I won't go on from the first chapter of Plunder and Deceit. But we're seeing it play out yet again. There is absolutely no spending control on government. Absolutely no spending control on government. There's absolutely no ability to prioritize. Defense should be at the top of the list, not at the bottom. Men and women, parents, who love their own children, who love their own children, vote for individuals who condemn their children, their grandchildren, future generations, to a bleak and dark future. We are consuming the wealth of future generations, generations yet born. We're consuming their wealth. And they haven't even created it yet through debt, through borrowing. And then we have to watch as official Washington celebrates from the President of the United States to the Majority Leader in the Senate to the Speaker of the House and their surrogates in the media tell us what a great accomplishment this is that it shows us government works. No, it doesn't. It shows us government doesn't work. It's gotten so big and bloated that it's sucking in the rest of society. And if you think your children, look at them, if you think your children and grandchildren can withstand the laws of economics, well, they can't. No more than any individual can. Just because a collection of individuals and a government are profligate, are out of control, doesn't mean that there's some rational basis to addressing it. So they walk out these politicians, Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer, very proud of themselves. We have a Republican leader in the United States Senate who is desperate to hold on to power at any cost, who is interfering with Republican primaries all over the country, who helped elect a Democrat in Alabama, trying to do the same thing in Mississippi and in other states, including Arizona. He is a man who is so consumed with his own power that he's blinded by the conditions in which he creates them. This is a disastrous budget. Disastrous. And you cannot call yourself a fiscal conservative and be a member of the Senate or the House of Representatives and then vote for this. I understand the desperate need to fund the United States military. So do it. Well, we don't have the votes. Well, you need to create the conditions in which you do have the votes. Tell me. Has the Republican leadership in the Senate and House made the case for the United States military? Has the President of the United States given a speech to the nation, making a case for the United States military, showing how we're short a thousand pilots, how we're under a 300 Navy, ship Navy, from a 600 ship Navy? Who's making the case? Nobody. Nobody's making the case. We can't prioritize. In order to fund the United States military, we have to massively expand every other piece of the federal government. That's what Obama did with the help of Mitch McConnell. 
And there's Mitch McConnell again. He's an absolute feckless so-called leader. Now, I will tell you what it takes to advance the case of funding the Defense Department without massively expanding spending and getting our debt under control. It takes several government shutdowns. Not because we want them, but it is the only way to train the left. It's the only way to deal with them. That's why there have been 20 government shutdowns since 1974. And it's only during those administrations and congresses where there haven't been such shutdowns, where spending has shot through the roof. We could not have defeated the Soviet Union but for several government shutdowns when Ronald Reagan was president. We wouldn't have the MX missile. We wouldn't have had the Pershing II. We would not have had a so-called balanced budget under Bill Clinton. But for Newt Gingrich and the new Republicans in the House of Representatives, holding his feet to the fire. Leadership is hard. Statesmanship is even harder. Apparently, that doesn't exist anymore. I'll be right back. Mark most greedy, the most selfish Congress, and I might say the most greedy and selfish generation in American history. Be doing this to our children and grandchildren. Let me show you the kinds of stuff Mitch McConnell has snuck into this bill. A tax credit for mine equipment. A property tax break on racehorses. A tax credit for hybrid cars. A tax credit for certain two-wheeled electric vehicles. A tax credit for energy-efficient homes. A four-year extension of a tax break on rum. A tax credit on solar water heating. An income tax deduction for movie and theater productions costing under $15 million. It's Senator DeMint, former Senator DeMint, who has raised this. This list is at Conservative Review. There's a lot more in there. The Republicans promised to simplify the tax code and stop coddling special interest groups like Hollywood and the energy lobby, as they write at CR. But now that they've passed tax reform and people stop paying attention, the GOP is shoehorning many special tax breaks into a $400 billion budget-busting spending bill with no cuts in spending to pay for them. None. Increasing the size of government, giving handouts to special interest groups. This is not a party that represents conservative voters because it's not a party that's conservative. And Paul Ryan thinks this is swell, and once we get this passed, we'll move on to DACA. The next item on the Democrat list. The next item on the Democrat list. Now... What do you think about this? Quinn Hillier, writing over at the Washington Examiner. The federal budget deal worked out in the Senate on Wednesday is wildly irresponsible. The House ought to reject it overwhelmingly, and if it doesn't, then President Trump should veto it the minute it hits his desk. But he won't, because Trump said he likes it, <clears throat> because it's a deal. The agreement would bust existing budget caps, not just for desperately needed military spending, but for a massive explosion in domestic discretionary spending 
that is neither necessary nor affordable. The new social spending is advertised as some $130 billion for the next two years. But by raising the baseline for future budgets, this really means a likely $700-plus billion hike in spending and new debt over a 10-year span. A nation already reeling from years of massive deficit spending, including a demonic $666 billion deficit in the most recently completed fiscal year, cannot afford this new profligacy. The new spending will either crowd out private investment, catalyze the first major spike in inflation in more than three decades, or put unbearable pressure on interest rates, or all three. The end result could well be an economic evil not experienced in the United States since 1981, namely stagflation. So we have this massive corporate tax cut, which I'm for. And then you're going to have massive spending increases, which I'm against. We have to be able to fund our defense budget properly, increasing defense spending, without this other massive domestic spending. And if we can't do that, and apparently we can't, given the Republicans in Congress and given what the President has said, I'll sign it. Hits my desk, I'll sign it. Well, this will be a disaster, so you better hold on to your pants, I'll tell you that. I'll be right back. Mark Levin, the thunder on the right. Call in now, 877-381-3811. We welcome Jim Jordan to the program. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine. Mark, how you been? I'm I'm okay, but you know what, Congressman? I, I really have had my stomach full of the spending stuff. I mean, the, the, I mean, these guys, they run for re-election. They at least claim to be fiscal conservatives. And in order to fund the Defense Department, we have to blow out domestic spending to the highest levels in American history and then pat ourselves on the back for a bipartisan bill. What, what is this nonsense? It's terrible. It's plain and simple. It's terrible. It's not even close to what the American people elected us to do. It's close to a quarter of a trillion dollars in discretionary spending increase in one year, second only in the last decade, second only to the Obama stimulus package, and we all know what a boondoggle that was. So, um, yeah, it, it, it can't be any worse than this. And here's the other thing. When you put money just in glowing the size of government, that's the left. That's money that goes into government, goes out to some of these not-for-profits, then goes winds up in these groups and wha- wha- radical left groups who then run against the Republican candidates and conservative It's just growing government, making the deficit debt situation even worse, and, and more importantly, or just as importantly, funding the left. You know, and it and it is very disheartening to millions and millions of people, a lot of people who listen to this program, because, you know, then they say, and then we'll get on to entitlement reform. Excuse me? You can't even get current spending under control. You're going to deal with entitlement reform, which is a thousand times more difficult? Yeah, exactly. This is supposed to be the easy stuff. It's like the guy that's like the, 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 the guy who's overweight and says, well, long term, I got to get on a diet and exercise program. But today I'm going to go ahead and eat the gallon of ice cream. Come on. You got to be able to deal with stuff today. And this is discretionary spending that, like I said, is almost a quarter of a trillion dollars in one year and going to lead to a deficit. I mean, this is amazing. First time Republicans control the House, the Senate, and the White House in several years, and we're going to run close to a trillion dollar deficit. Um, 
Just you, know, you know, Congressman, there, there's really no thought that's given to future generations. And you know yeah. why? Because it's a very amorphous thing out there. You know, I've got what I've got. I'll get what I get. Future generations, they're not even alive yet. They can't vote. People need to understand that when these babies are born 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, they're going to have this massive debt hanging around their necks. Their quality of life is going to be diminished because we yeah. are this this spending isn't compassionate it it is grossly selfish yeah no and, and i was asked the other day you know with the market situation the volatility in the stock market and, and someone asked me on on one of the shows is this because republicans and democrats can't get an agreement on a budget deal and because they can't get an agreement on i said maybe it's more fundamental than that Maybe it's the fact that we're going to run a trillion-dollar deficit. Maybe it's the fact we have a $20 trillion debt. Maybe it's the fact that our deficit as a percentage of our gross domestic product is larger than our annual growth rate, which is not a good place. Maybe it's a fact that the, maybe it's attributable to the fact that the bond market interest rates are going up. So that are, those are the kind of signs you start to see that make you, make you, make you real nervous, make you real concerned, and yet the politicians don't seem to get it. I tell you this, though. Mark, the Freedom Caucus gets it. We took a position. Almost every one of our guys are going to vote against this thing. And we should we should stop this bill tonight or tomorrow, whenever it comes back from the Senate. And then we should send right back over there the bill that's consistent with what the voters elected us to do, a bill that funds our troops but doesn't increase government anywhere else. That's the kind of bill we should send back mm-hmm. over there. Absolutely. And we've reached a point now where we can't even prioritize. It's if you want to raise uh, spending on the Marines by one buck, you got to re- raise spending on the food stamps by one buck. That, that's not how this is supposed to work. Now, Jim Jordan, let me also ask you this. I look at this, and I say to myself, we just had a, a very good tax cut on the corporate side. I'm not really happy with it on the individual side, but that doesn't matter. And now you're going to have massive debt. Obviously, yeah. this is going to create inflation. Yep. You can't yep, you no, can't yep. produce faster when when you're spending at at quarter of a trillion dollar clip you're adding a quarter of a trillion dollar clip onto something like this and and trust me the Democrats aren't going to hold on to that either they'll do whatever they want and yep. then and then uh, I mean I think that's why the stock market's concerned and the interest rates start to go up and that's only a matter of time when they were going to start to go up when you have a twenty trillion dollar fiscal operating debt and the interest rate goes to three four five six percent that is a massive hit. Yep, it sure is. And you know what else it does? It means the payment to service that huge debt, the payment, the interest payment to service that twenty trillion dollar debt, goes from a couple hundred billion dollars to about five or six hundred billion dollars, which is almost what we spend on national defense. And then you're in this, then you're in this vicious cycle where you're chasing your tail and you can never catch up. No matter, even though we're having good growth and the economy is moving in the right direction because of the, the policies that the Trump administration is supporting, so. Even with all that, you get in this, this terrible spiral where you're chasing your tail. And unfortunately, we're starting to head in that direction. And that's what concerns me. And yet, what do we have? Republicans and Democrats, the swamp here in D.C. saying we're going to keep spending. We're going to keep doing business as usual instead of doing what the voters sent us here to do. You know what else is fascinating to me? The way the media defines this stuff. You guys who are constitutionalists, who, who are fiscally conservative, who believe in faith and family and individualism, you're right-wingers. When does it become a right-winger to want to conduct the, uh, the government's affairs in a responsible way? Right-wingers over there at the Freedom Caucus. It's all intended to, you know, marginalize you and so forth, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, no, you're right. When, if you're going to be, you've got to make a choice. You have to make a choice. Are you going to, you're going to try to get the support of the mainstream press, or are you going to do what you said you were going to do? I mean, it's, it's really that bad. You're going to do what the voters say you're here to do? I tell my colleagues. 
if the press isn't saying something bad about you, you're probably not doing anything worthwhile. So that is a choice you have to make when you get in this job. And the, we get we get blasted in the press, the Freedom Caucus, every single day. But you know what? I, I'm, I'm, I like coming to this town because I know there's a group of other guys who are willing to fight for the things that I think deep down the vast majority of the American people care about. And we're going to keep doing it, and that includes getting a handle on this spending. Unfortunately, this bill is not not doing the job. And they're back to their dirty tricks over on the Senate side. Here's what McConnell slipped in. And this is from Jim DeMint and his group, and Conservative Review has published this now. A tax credit for mine equipment, a property tax break on racehorses, a tax credit on solar water heating, an income tax deduction for movie and theater productions costing under $15 million, a tax credit for hybrid cars, a tax credit for certain two-wheeled electric vehicles, a tax credit for energy-efficient homes, quote-unquote, a four-year extension of a tax break on rum. I mean, we're back to the same old, same old here. Yeah, earmarks, coneyism, special deals, all at the expense of the American family and the American taxpayer. It's not how it's supposed to operate. And I, there was an election just a little over a year ago where the American people spoke loud and clear. They want you to do certain things, and that is, and this this bill is in no way consistent with the mandate that people sent in 2016. And that's what I find so frustrating. Um, I, I'm I'm still hoping we can we can round up the votes and stop this thing tonight. And of course, the press will say, "Oh, they're they're the Freedom Caucus is working for a shutdown." No, we're not. We're working for a bill that is consistent with what the people sent us here to do, one that funds our military, keeps the government open, but doesn't grow government, doesn't increase the social welfare systems and social welfare programs that are out there right now. But there will be a shutdown one day in the future, and it won't be anything we can recover from. Yeah. I mean, I mean, society, societies do collapse. Now, I don't know how much longer this can go on. Look, we're not funding our defense um, department properly. We've got all these threats abroad from China, from Iran, from Russia, and so forth. We've got a Navy that's under 300 ships now. It used to be 600 under Reagan. We've got 1,000 pilots short. They really need help. And what the Democrats say, and quite frankly, Congressman, many Republicans, well, you know what? You want to fund that, then we want to take a few hundred billion dollars more from you each year to fund all the rest of this, I'll call it, you don't have to, all the rest of this slop that's out here. Yeah. And that's a huge problem that we can't even prioritize. Right, Mark, but, it, but, but think about it. Think about what happened three weeks ago. We sent a bill to the Senate, and, and Chuck Schumer shut down the government because he said, no, 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 no. Amnesty for illegals is more important than funding our troops. And now this week we sent over a bill that just – it's the same bill except it says we're going to fund our troops at a higher level for the entire fiscal year. We're going we're gonna to take care and do what we said we were going to do, and our, and our leadership doesn't want to have that debate. We were in such a good position to win this debate and finally say we're going to do what needs to be done for national security and not just grow the rest of the government. We were in such a good position, but our leadership says, nope, nope, we're not going to win. We're not going to win. We're not going to do what we said. We're just going to keep doing the same old game that gets done every year in this town, which is just increased spending for everything. That's how close we were to victory. And this is like, you know, the old, what's the old, uh, snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. You know, the, yeah. that's what happened. We were so close to winning. Why not have that debate? Do you think Chuck Schumer is going to shut down the government again? Of course not. We were ready to win, and they said, no, let's cut a deal. Let's cut a deal and increase spending on everything. Unbelievable. And what's interesting to me is next up, your speaker says, is DACA. And I'm going, what do we have, the Democrat priority list here? And uh, we're going to go through it. Okay, we have massive new domestic spending. Now we're going to grant citizenship. You got a decent bill there from Goodlatte. It's, I mean, it's okay, but it's good enough. 
Yep. And, and now we're talking about, you know, citizenship for millions of people and millions of their family members, upwards of 11 million if you add it all up over a period of time. I mean, and, and, and this is coming from Republicans. I know. I, I know. I, I, it is so frustrating. I know it's frustrating for you. It's frustrating for me. But imagine what it's like for the, for the families across this great country. And I always say this, but, but it's, we make this job way too stinking complicated. It's really pretty simple. What did you tell the American people you were going to do when they gave you the privilege to come to Congress and serve them? What did you say you were going to do? And I guarantee it. I guarantee we didn't say we're going to increase spending $230 billion in the first year Republicans control the House and Senate and the White House. I guarantee that was not said during the campaign. And I also guarantee during that campaign no one said we're going to let people who came here illegally, we're going to let them stay, and we're not going to deal with chain migration, E-Verify, sanctuary cities, building a border security wall. I guarantee that was not part of the message. And so to, to do those things now, unbelievable. unbelievable. Tell me this, Congressman. Did any candidate in the, the Republican primary, of which there are about 412 of them, did any candidate run on the uh, platform that we're going to create 1.8 million citizens out of illegal aliens? Of course not. Of not course. one. Not even Jeb Bush. Of course not. No one ran on that. Oh, golly. All I'm right. Well, listen, you up. must Whenever be... I'm on with you, you get me more fired up than I already am. <laughs> Well, it doesn't take much. I'll tell you, I've watched you in action, and I couldn't be prouder. I wish you were my congressman, quite frankly. All right, Congressman, well, God bless you. All right, All right take care of yourself. He's among the best. He is consistent. He is principled, which is why they trash him left and right. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Goals for 2018, I've got them, but I can only achieve them if I'm well-rested. And thankfully, I have a Casper mattress helping me get a great night's sleep. The Casper mattress has a unique combination of foams that provide the right pressure relief and comfort, so you feel perfectly balanced. And thanks to the breathable material, you're guaranteed to sleep coolly. Plus, the mattresses are built to last for years. Basically, since I've gotten my Casper, I've gotten the best sleep ever, so I know 2018 is going to be a great year, and I'm not the only one in the family. We have six of them, plus now one, two, three of our dogs. My dog, Barney, and my son Chase's dogs, too. Try Casper yourself for 100 nights in your own home, risk-free. They ship it to you for free in a compact box. Plus, if you don't love it, you don't have to put it back in that tiny box. They come pick it up, and they refund you everything, no questions asked. Now... Start your year off right with a guaranteed great night's sleep every night. Get a Casper. Try yours for 100 nights in your own home with free shipping and returns. Go to casper.com slash mark, use code mark, and save $50 on the purchase of select mattresses. That's casper.com slash mark, code mark. Save 50 bucks on the purchase of select mattresses. Terms and conditions apply. What's so great about this product and service? You can take your existing mattress, you may even think you like it, lean it up against the wall, order your Casper, then try it and see if you like it more. And if you don't, you send it back. Honestly, it's absolutely outstanding. All right. Let's take a call here. Let me see here. Mike, Freehold, New Jersey, the great WABC. Go. Yeah, so, Mark, uh, I, I agree with the bill. I think the president's doing a great job. I wanted to thank you for taking my calls, first-time caller. 
I, and, I don't even understand what you agree with the bill. Well, the uh, you think the president doing the president didn't do anything. He's waiting for them to send him the bill. President hasn't done anything. And what is it about the bill that you think is great? Hello? Of course. That's a pom-pom guy, and he just wanted to tell me everyone's great. That's all. But, uh, you know, we, we test you on these things. Micah, Dallas, Texas, the great WBAP. Go. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm a millennial in age. Only, literally. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, my father was a Reagan conservative and, and we rose up in 2010. We got the House, the Senate. We, I was hoping they would do what Newt Gingrich did and just like pass a bunch of bills, like, you know, death by a thousand cuts type of thing. Nothing happened then. Now we got this bill and I just, I'm not understanding when, I mean, I voted for Cruz in the primaries, obviously voted for Trump to make sure that Hillary didn't win. But what do we do with this? I'm, I'm going to explain this problem as I have now for years, for years. Mitch McConnell is a terrible, terrible uh, leader of the Republican Party in the Senate. He has uh, ensured that he will retain the leadership position of the Republican Party where they have a majority minority. He interferes in the elections in the various states. Uh, And he ran right into uh, Schumer to cut a deal right after the Republicans and the president were having a hell of a good couple of months. And McConnell's idea of a deal is a sellout. And he'll tell you, I don't have enough votes. I don't have enough votes. I don't have enough votes. Fact of the matter is McConnell never makes the case to the American people. All he does is trash conservatives, tell you he doesn't have enough votes. He's a process guy, and he's very poor at it. Now, we've had the rise of the Tea Party movement. We've had the rise of, uh, of Trump's presidency. And all throughout, Mitch McConnell has been an obstacle. He's a very poor strategist, and yet he's been around so long, you'll have editorial pages at the Wall Street Journal and others writing telling us how swell he is. He's not swell. He's a disaster. He doesn't communicate well. He cannot uh, connect with the American people. He's there sticking his stuff in there for special tax uh, uh, treatment of people who own racehorses and so forth in Kentucky. It's just, it's just, he's got no principles. None. He was never a Reaganite. He's never a Tea Party guy. He was never a conservative. And then you see we have a whole zombie-like crew behind him. Look at John Cornyn. Look at Lamar Alexander. Look at Blunt from Missouri. They're all, Thune from South Dakota, they're all in the same mold. And they think that they're, uh, uh, that they're much more professional and much more expertise of what they're doing. They're killing us, absolutely killing us. All right, Micah, thank you for your call, sir. Jeremy, Dallas, Texas, the great WBAP. Go. Yes, sir. I just wanted to say I appreciate your show. Uh, don't hate me too much. I'm a liberal, but I, I, I don't hate you. <laughs> no, I agree a thousand percent on what you're on what you're saying, and I I give I, I dislike both parties for what they're trying to do. Uh, one, you create the path of tax bill, which decreases revenues, which hopefully will drive up the economy. I hope it does. But then to come around and two weeks later or two months later, pa- try to pass a spending bill that increases spending three $250 billion from an economic standpoint, that makes zero sense, considering that all we have to do is just balance the budget. And let, me, let me tell you what these idiots are going to do in a bipartisan way. 
And these idiots have done it before in the recent past, over the last half century. They're going to drive up interest rates and they're going to create inflation because they can't control themselves. They cannot control themselves. And, uh, and on the Republican side, let's just face it, they don't have the guts to put the brakes on the Democrats. They just don't have it. If it takes a government shutdown, well, then the hell with it. It takes a government shutdown. But they don't want one. Uh, that's the, uh, uh, you know, that, that's the thing they got to stay away from, so they're willing to throw in with the Democrats on this. I'm telling you, this is so bad. You know, I've studied it now. I've looked at it carefully now. This is so bad. My jaw hits the floor. All right, Jeremy, thank you for your call. We'll be right back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. It appears another Democrat... Mark Warner was trying to get information from foreign sources against Donald Trump. And we're trying to pull that together now. And as soon as I have that, I will relay it to you. Remember Adam Schiff and the uh, pranksters. But the point wasn't the pranksters, the comedians. The point was Adam Schiff trying to gain information that they thought they could use to damage or blackmail the President of the United States. Well, apparently, uh, Mark Warner uh, was working with a lobbyist for a Russian oligarch, not working for, working with, trying to get information as well. And I will, as soon as I have the uh, full breadth of that information, I will share it with you. And you keep in mind, Schiff is the leading Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee, and Warner's the leading Democrat on the Senate Intelligence Committee. This scandal just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But let's circle back until we have more information on that. Lindsey Graham on Fox News today, he thinks this budget deal is swell. Cut one, go. This deal increases spending by quite a, quite a lot, and we're hearing a lot about that from some of your Republican colleagues, $300 billion. Is this a good deal? Well, it depends on uh, what you think the federal government should be doing. Now, let's stop right here. Now, I want you to listen carefully to what this idiot has to say. Go ahead. Government should be defending America from enemies that are growing in terms of their lethality. Yes, this is the best news for the military since 2011. Yeah, so, so in other words, we have to spend hundreds of billions of dollars on domestic discretionary spending in order to properly fund the United States military. You see, this guy is not a leader. This guy is a joke. He's a disgrace. So if you want to spend more money on defense, but you want to just cool it on the rest of the budget, then I guess you don't support defense spending, according to this egghead. So he sounds like a Democrat. Why is this guy in the Senate? Why isn't he busy selling used cars somewhere? And then I want you to listen to this meandering, virtually incomprehensible statement from Paul Ryan. Cut to go. We're doing this one. Why? Because we don't want to see the sequester hit the military. 
Now, having said all of that, there are some other good things in here. This is a bipartisan bill. Just like uh, Leader Schumer said, you get some things you like, you, you give the other side things they like. That's what bipartisan compromise is all so about. So we like defense spending to defend the nation. And they don't like defense spending. They like massive domestic spending. And so this is all you're going to hear. This is bipartisanship. This is the best we could do. Then if this is the best we can do, we need a whole bunch of new politicians. Because they are spending your children. I want you to look at your children tonight and your grandchildren. I want you to think about them. I want you to think about future generations. No generation has done this to future generations like we are. It's so completely out of control. And the truth is the vast majority of us, we don't benefit from most of this. Go ahead. On the net, this is a very good solution. And as to the debt and deficit concerns, most of this domestic spending, as you pointed out, is one-time spending. It's, it's hurricane relief. I mean, what, we're not going to rebuild Houston? We're not going to rebuild Florida? We're not going to help Let, Listen to this guy. Does he not sound like a leftist? Does he not sound like a leftist? So he's going to give you all the things that we need to do, and he's going to keep out all the rest of the stuff. He's not going to talk about the debt. He's not going to talk about a trillion-dollar one-year deficit that the Republicans who control all the elected parts of the government are going to be responsible for. Not a word. Go ahead. Or, or the fires in California. Those are things that we have to do because our fellow citizens in these disaster-ravaged areas need assistance. And that okay, great. Then get rid of all the other spending, genius. Okay, take care of the hurricane areas. Take care of California with the uh, fires. Okay, we're in. Now, what about the rest of it? He won't mention the rest of it. Go ahead. Role for the federal government. So a lot of that spending is one-time spending. The other domestic spending is something that we all agree on. We have an opioids crisis in America. Let's get on fi with fixing it. This, this guy is unbelievable. This is your Speaker of the House, Republicans. Unbelievable. Go ahead. I'm close on cancer research and getting some cures, so let's let's keep that going. We all know we want to work. What? On Hold on. Whoa, 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 whoa. So we need to do this for cancer research and keep that going. You know what, Paul Ryan? There was a time I had enormous respect for you. I have no respect for you now. None. None. In this tax cut. You sounded like a leftist going on and on about the rich and class warfare. Here, you sound like Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. You see, if we don't have massive new domestic spending, then we won't find a cure for cancer. And then we won't be able to stop the opioid crisis. Are you kidding me? So in other words, just keep spending, 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 spending. Not a word about future generations. Not a word. And next up, he says, we're going to hit DACA. Oh, yeah. Now we're going to have millions and millions of new citizens. And according to George W. Bush, and he's over in the Middle East, and we should be welcoming another idiot, quite frankly. That's right, I said it. Another idiot. In Germany, 90% of the crime increase is due to refugees. I mean, it's just so bizarre, so out of control, these clowns. Go ahead.
So we're getting a good down payment on infrastructure. I think there's some other good Oh, great. We're getting a good down payment on infrastructure. Well, you can never have enough boondoggles out there. Got infrastructure. The president talked about family leave. Oh, yeah. We, uh, we, you know, we got to find a cure for cancer, so we need to massively increase spending on welfare programs. Oh, yeah. Lindsey Graham, if you don't support defense, well, of course you're against this budget. These are Republicans. I remember when fiscally conservative Republicans would say, you know, we ought to run on the fiscally conservative stuff. Stop talking about the social issues. Well, what are these people going to run on now? They can't run on being fiscal conservatives. Go ahead. There's one more thing I'll say. I think this budget process is broken. Here we are with another CR, CR, CR omnibus. That's why uh, something we put in here that I feel very passionate about uh, is having a budget process reform dialogue. Now we oh, we're going to have a budget process reform dialogue. We're going to have a dialogue. What are these guys, in fifth grade? This is the best they can do? Do we have a leader? Do we have a leader in the United States Congress? Oh, we got Mitch McConnell and uh, what's the number two idiot's name? I can't even remember. Oh, and over in the house, oh, Kevin McCarthy. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's a great one. These are your leaders. Go ahead. Inside a dialogue in the House among House Republicans. I've been working on this pretty much my adult life. Yeah, and we- you have failed. You've had this di- having a dialogue, you know, dialogue. Get something done. Get something done. Spending constraints, none whatsoever. None whatsoever. Fund the military and stop the rest of this stuff. Slow it down. Or we won't have a country left. I'll be right back. Thinkers on this subject, among others, is Daniel Horwitz of Conservative Review. Daniel, how are you, sir? I'm doing all right, but it's pretty rough here in D.C. Well, tell the American people what you're making of this budget right now. You know what? This is not just a budget. It's an entire vision that encompasses everything from a backwards worldview on foreign policy, on health care in particular, um, what should be a federal or a state function, and clearly no regard um, for even what they accomplished. Uh, just to give a p- big picture view here, Republicans with control of all three branches, they're now undoing the one accomplishment they had when they just had control of one branch. So when Paul Ryan says that this is one-time spending, the problem with that is they're removing the guardrails. They're, they're eliminating the budget caps. Now, they're saying it's for two years, but that's nonsense because once you're doing it for two years, it's over with. So the $300 billion, usually when you talk about spending, it's over a 10-year budget frame. This is just in two years. Over 10 years, it will likely be in the trillions. Mm-hmm. How, how, I mean, where does this end? Am I, am I just too bleak about this and too, uh, too, too negative about this? I mean, I, I just don't see this ending well. I mean, this is what Margaret Thatcher warned about with the one-directional ratchet, that when the left gets into power, it accelerates in one direction, and you know, when the other side gets in, they can never turn it back, and it's just a question of how much they grow it. But I think this is a little bit beyond that. Uh, you know, just this budget alone, the increase, the percentage increase in the budget caps 
is 313% larger when you include all the disaster aid, which we can get to in a minute, that's fraudulent, 313% more than Obama's final budget request in 2016. Say that again? The percentage increase from the budget caps that, that the GOP Congress is, is now enacting is three times larger than the percentage increase that Obama requested in his final year. Now, you and I may disagree on defense spending, if I read you correctly, because I do think they need a really good uh, uh, sizable increase in defense spending. But here's the problem. We can't even prioritize anymore. It's everything goes up all at once, and everything goes up in record record numbers. And... Sure. And, and for McConnell to be cutting deals like this, do you agree with me? He he has been the one regular factor throughout Obama, this presidency in the Senate, who has truly undermined anything close to a constitutional slash conservative agenda. It's funny when it comes to enacting uh, left wing policies, he often says, "Well, let's let, let me be a neutral arbiter." Uh, you know, I'm just going to introduce a blank bill. We'll have whatever amendments you want. But when it comes to screwing conservatives, he often does take sides, and we're seeing that in this case. And then when you co- it comes to Paul Ryan, notice how he's using liberal liberal rhetoric. Oh yeah. How he's he's wrapping everything up into heart tugging um, concepts. So it's it's the it's, if you don't vote for this, you hate the military, or you're not for disaster spending. Now, each line item there's problems with. With defense spending, I agree we need more planes and ships after Obama's gutting of the military. But there's a problem with some of the so-called defense hawks in Washington. They don't give a damn about anything other than spending figures. There's a lot of structural problems with the Pentagon, with the military, the social engineering. Just today there's news on um, you know the Marines getting rid of the combat readiness test in order to get yeah, women that, That's not a spending issue, though. It, it, it's not a spending issue, but it's offensive that people like Paul Ryan will never raise their voice to what's going on. They will never even hold a hearing on this stuff, on the transgenderism in the military, and then this is all they care about. And then there's also the OCO issue, the Overseas Contingency Operations. We need to move back towards strike and maneuver, towards identifying a clearly defined mission, going in with full force. I don't have a problem with all this, but we're talking about such massive reductions, truthfully, in real spending over time of the United States military. It's expensive, the military. You need R&D. Ships are not cheap. Planes are not cheap. Cheap. Uh, cheap. Training a pilot costs an enormous amount of money. But you have to at least admit this is a priority of the federal government. States can't do it. We all understand that. And what I'm saying is, whether you and I agree on that, the fact is to then drag all this domestic spending and to drag it all up because you want to spend on, on it's it's like uh, Wadaka. You can't secure the border unless you have millions more illegal aliens become American citizens. And so we we negotiate on their terms every single time. And Ryan has said, once we're done the budget, we're going to move on the DACA. Why? Why? Well, Why not move on to the American citizenry? Well, that, that's the issue. It's a matter of priorities. Um, so the few things that are enumerated powers somehow get sent to the back of the bus. Border security, obviously the military. Um, but then you have thrown in here a bunch of health care boondoggles, handouts to the hospital and insurance cartels. So not only are they keeping Obamacare, not only are they 
they plan not in this bill but a lateral agreement to bail out Obamacare with this reinsurance program. They're actually also reinstating and expanding previous pre-Obamacare programs that Obamacare – it was intended that the Obamacare law eliminate. So SCHIP, there's no need for it now that you have Obamacare. They agreed to fund it for six years. Now they're agreeing to fund it for another 10 years. You have hospital payments. So basically the, the government gave what's called dish payments, disproportionate share payments to hospitals for treating those that kind of come into the ER and they're either illegals or they don't, they're not covered. And it's an unfunded liability. The question is why? So, so the why are they surrendering? So, so the thing is, Medicaid expansion is a cash cow for the hospitals. Way overcompensates for okay, that. Okay, I got it. I'm asking you this a bigger question. Why are they doing this? Is it because they really are progressives? And in, in, uh, that's that's my conclusion now that the progressives have won that the progressive elements within the Republican Party have won, that there's so few serious stand-up conservatives in the Senate and a relatively small percentage in the House that the Republican Party is Theodore Roosevelt's progressive party. I think that that's the key here. Everyone's getting caught up in the military spending, and I think there's what to say about it. But they support increased bureaucracies on the non-defense side as an end to itself. They want it as a standalone. There, there aren't enough people in Washington that even putting aside the military spending that want to, to slow the growth of these programs, much less cut them at all. Mm-hmm. And that therein is, is the problem. And so conservatives really have nowhere to turn, do we? No, they, they don't, but at some point they have to be willing to shoot the hostage. I mean, at some point you can't just cr- shout military spending in a crowded theater and do nothing about the other problems we have in foreign policy, nothing about the, the domestic spending, and ex- expect conservatives to just jump. Mm-hmm. All right. How do you think? And by the way, I think this thing, oh, we're going to have a government shutdown. Like, that's the end of the world. Has it ever been the end of the world? We already have a government shutdown, as you noted. I mean, we don't yes. have a government that represents the people anymore. When you when you have politicians that care more about foreign nationals than the people for whom the, for whom they're sworn to represent, that that's a breakdown of the social contract. So I mean, and, that, and here on the East Coast, it's almost 7:30 p.m. We have a, shub- a government shutdown every night, don't we? Every night, every weekend, or often every if holiday. Just no. Or yes, exactly. Device. All right, my friend, keep up the good work. I appreciate it. Take care. God bless. All right, you too. Gee, Mark, you're spending an awful lot of time on this. Yes, I am. What am I supposed to do? Uh, Go on some website and start talking about stupid stuff? No, we're not going to do that. This is big stuff. This is something we need to inform ourselves about. Fact of the matter is that the spending is way out of control. Uh, From my perspective, the Defense Department needs more spending. Uh, But also from my perspective, I don't know how much more we can grow the welfare, redistribution, social engineering part of our budget without destroying our country. I'll be right back. The champion of liberty and true conservatism. Call Mark now. 877-381-3811. A lot of you want to jump in on this, and we will do that. But I want to tell you about CarShield. I love my 2010 Camaro, but it's reached that age where things are starting to go wrong. 
I don't worry about those problems anymore, though. Not since I got extended vehicle service protection from CarShield. Getting covered by CarShield is such a great idea. It's affordable protection that can save you thousands for a covered repair. A new fuel pump costs over $500, replacing a water pump's over 1000 And if you need repairs to control arm or a, a control arm or a torque converter, stuff most of us never heard of before, now we're talking thousands of dollars to fix. Now, they even have plans that cover your car's computer, GPS, electronics, and more. CarShield's the ultimate in extended coverage, and they'll get your favorite mechanic or dealership paid directly. That means... You don't have to pay them and then wait to be refunded. You don't have to be involved in that at all. So sign up today, get 24-7 roadside assistance, and a rental car while yours is in the shop. Save yourself from high repair bills. You know they're coming. Get covered by CarShield like I did before something goes wrong. Call 800-CAR-6100, 800-CAR-6100. Mention code LEVIN. Or visit carshield.com. That's carshield.com. Use code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, and you'll save 10% either way. That's 800-CAR-6100. Mention LEVIN or carshield.com. Code LEVIN. A deductible may apply, and I strongly encourage you to get it if you have a used car or an older car. Let us go to Donna. Frederick, Maryland, the great WMAL. How are you? Hello, Mark. I'm doing well, thank you. How are you tonight? Okay, thank you. Well, this is a big one, and uh, I've been worried about the debt for a long time. And I, I started thinking about the word to conserve, conservative, fiscal conservative, Democrat fiscal conservative. Where are they? That's been erased from our vocabulary, and people are ignorant when it comes to that terminology, which might explain why they're being duped by the rhetoric of people like Paul Ryan, who get up there and, as you so eloquently demonstrated, sounds just like Nancy Pelosi and uh, and Chuck Schumer. It's an outrage. Even when Ryan was selling the tax cut, he sounded like a class warfare leftist, which was absolutely unnecessary. And that's what's so frightening to people who are conservatives, because we're seeing, I guess we can call it, they're self-unmasking. They're not really conservatives or Republicans. They're really Democrats, and that's what's so frightening. So I think we, the people, really have to stand up to this because we're not going to have a country when it's all said and done. No, and and I don't, you know, we're reaching a point where we don't know what to do. We we elect them to the House. We elect them to the Senate. Uh, I have no doubt if they would send this president a really tough uh, bill that would... Uh, try to control spending and so forth, he would sign it. But frankly, we're not getting leadership from anybody on this. Anybody. All right, my friend, I appreciate your call. Let's go to Steve, New Albany, Indiana. Sirius Satellite, go. Hey, Mark, how are you tonight? Okay. Great. Hey, uh, we seem to have a problem in the Congress of wandering in the wilderness when it comes to this budget, and I think the responsibility lays right at the doorstep of the White House. Uh, I'm a little older than you, but we're both baby boomers. I lived through the Reagan Revolution, voted for him twice. And when Ronald Reagan wanted to get something done, he personally lobbied members of the House, which was controlled by the Democrats, at least during his first term. He uh, personally lobbied the senators. 
And then he went on national te television and made the case to the American people for what needed to be done and why. He used graphics, he used illustrations, and he used his great ability as a communicator to uh, convey that to the American people. And the next day, the Congress's switchboard was ringing off the hook with people calling into the representatives. We don't have any leadership from the White House on this issue, for one thing. That's my first observation. Well, the president said he'd sign this. Well, so it's it's even worse. Leadership. He he didn't mention. He hardly mentioned the budget in his State of the Union address, and he didn't specify anything there. He didn't make a case for anything, uh, and that's. And I, I I listen. I agree with you a hundred percent. But uh, there is another branch of government, and they're responsible for, uh, you know, passing spending bills. And um, whether it's under Obama or under Trump, what I'm trying to point out also is that we have the same guy in the United States Senate who is power-hungry, who will hold on to power no matter what he has to do. He's more interested in electing. You know, there's a time at which you have to do what's right, whether you win office or lose office, whether you stay in the majority or you wind up in the minority. And that's not the way McConnell thinks. McConnell thinks i got to get more and more establishment Republicans in here, Romney types and others who will go along with me, who will work with me, who will cut deals with the uh, with the radical you know, radical uh, spendaholics on the left. And that's how he views government. That's how he views politics. He's not looking over his shoulder at a massive debt. He's not looking at the future of what's going to happen to children and grandchildren. He just wants to get through one vote after another. He likes being chauffeured around. Look at the guy. He's a complete goofball. Only in America can a complete goofball like this uh, be the majority leader in the United States Senate. Right. I live right across the Ohio River from his hometown, so I'm very well aware of Mitch McConnell. Uh, my question to you was, though, as uh, the great expert on the Constitution and and the representative republic, did our founders envision a scenario like what we're seeing evolve in front of us today at the Constitutional Convention or in the Federalist Papers? Did they ever envision a government that would be so fiscally irresponsible or did they believe that virtuous people would be elected as their representatives and would do the right thing right? well no they they were not pollyannas and they've made the point time and again that uh, once a people loses their virtue then there's nothing that they could put together in a constitution or any other document that would save a nation so they made that point and <clears throat> they made the point that the people have to be resolute and they also made the point that they were setting up a government that had very limited powers uh, and that most of the action would take place in the states and even more in individual lives. Now, that's been turned on its head. I talk about this all the time, the progressive movement over the last oh, 120 years or so. And uh, <clears throat> we live in so many respects in a post-constitutional government. And so what happens? You have massive debt, and it's going to continue. We do not have people who have the guts to try and fight this. It's very hard to do. It's much easier to keep running around saying we have a bipartisan bill and we couldn't get everything we wanted. You're going to hear talk show hosts tomorrow say that, who've been contacted by Ryan's office and so forth. This is a complete lack of leadership. When the Democrats are in power, they get what they want. When the Republicans are in power, they get what they want, not as much as they want, that is the Democrats. They still get pretty much what they want. When the Republicans are in power, they attack the people who voted for, mostly the conservative base, the activists. And then they we're, were lectured about, this is the only way it works, this is all we can do, you must be a radical, you must be a right-winger. 
you know the game plan. This is pretty much what it is. Right. Well, it seems to me that all, this kind of started around the turn of the century in Woodrow Wilson's time when uh, the, uh, I think it was the 17th Amendment or whichever one. That <clears throat> well, that's, that, would be, that would be before him, wouldn't it? He's lost their voice in the... Sir, 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 that would be before him, wouldn't it? It uh, really started with Taft uh, and, uh, and Theodore Roosevelt and Taft. You had the Battle of the Progressives. You had Republican Progressives and Democrat Progressives. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt, if you read my book, Rediscovering Americanism, it lays it all out. Theodore Roosevelt was a progressive. Theodore Roosevelt was highly influenced by a gentleman I read about uh, to you yesterday, uh, Crowley. Crowley was a socialist, <clears throat> and he was a so-called progressive. Now, Wilson and Theodore Roosevelt uh, obviously were political opponents. You had that one election where Taft ran as a Republican and Theodore Roosevelt ran on the Progressive Party ticket, and then you had Woodrow Wilson as the Democrat. The real difference between Wilson on domestic policy and Theodore Roosevelt was their approach to trusts and trust-busting. But they had a very similar worldview in many respects when it came to uh, capitalism and the role of the federal government. The The Republicans, the first Republican... Excuse me, the first progressive, actually elected progressive, was Theodore Roosevelt. Right. That's right. Yep. And so they're back. <laughs> they're back. They're <laughs> well, here. This is it. These are the Republican progressives. How, All right, how, sir. Long, how long can a nation, I realize the laws of economics are going to catch up with us eventually, but how long can a nation continue to function like we're functioning now? I don't know. I don't know. But unfortunately, our uh, grandchildren will find out. I mean, I, I just don't know how this ends because, look, on top of all this, you have the Social Security trustees uh, reporting that that program is going to go broke in fif- less than 15 years. You have the Medicare trustees saying the same thing. We can't even address entitlement reform. Uh, we can't even get our spending under control on non-entitlement issues. Meanwhile, the Defense Department takes a hit time and time and time again when the Democrats are in power. I don't know. Everything seems to be upside down to me. It does. All right, my friend, I appreciate your call. Now, Mr. Producer, my computer bonked out, so who do you recommend I speak to? Yeah. Great. WJRW, Joel in Grand Rapids, how are you, sir? I'm very well. Thank you for taking my call, Mark. Um, I'll All be right. very quick. And I think the main problem is people don't understand how big a number these trillions are. And I, I watch a lot of uh, YouTube videos on the universe and everything. And, you know, light travels at 186,000 miles per second, which translate into 6, 000, or 6 trillion miles a year. Thinking about it that way, we're, we're damn near, you know, 4 trillion miles in debt. And in other words, we're spending at the speed of light almost. We, we really are, and people just don't grasp that, and it's very <clears throat> disturbing to me. And that's a way, I'm just trying to give you a way to... No, that's good, but, and, and they don't grasp that. You're quite right. And the other thing they don't grasp, or they don't want to grasp, is future generations, I'm not worried about them, they'll be perfectly fine. They're fine, they'll be fine. I mean, my kid's fine, my grandkid's fine, that won't matter, and this is reinforced... By the politicians, it's reinforced by the media, it's reinforced by leftist professors, and of course they're wrong. The laws of economics are the laws of economics. Yes, they are, and I'm expecting my first grandkid in March, and I really, if 
disturbs me because it's um, it's upsetting, and I don't know what to do. And you don't like to hear it when people don't know what to do. But I think we need to really get out and let people know just what a big number that is and ask people, how, how do you get out of this? You don't. Well, listen, I may not like to hear it because there are options. There's one in particular, which is the uh, Article 5 Convention of States. And uh, we've got a battle going on right now in Idaho. Idaho, which is a conservative state. We have a handful, really two, maybe three state legislatures, uh, legislators who are blocking it. And, I mean, so this is very frustrating to me. We do have the capacity to rein things in, but it, it, may, be, it may come too late. All right, my friend, thank you. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Higher education these days, well, it's insane. Students storm faculty offices and riot when conservative speakers visit. Grievance lists, safe spaces, and identity politics have turned higher education into something lower. But not everywhere. There's a place where students can debate ideas openly and honestly, where they pursue truth together with their professors in a respectful manner, where the students and faculty have integrity, Hillsdale College. Every student at Hillsdale lives by an honor code. It's not a list of do's and don'ts, but a simple pledge, and here it is. A Hillsdale College student is honorable in conduct, honest in word and deed, dutiful in study and service, and respectful of the rights of others. Through education, the student rises to self-government. That's it. Every freshman commits to follow that code, and throughout their Hillsdale education, their character is built to be true, beautiful, and good. Hillsdale graduates serve our country's teachers and doctors, stay-at-home moms, lawyers, journalists, and more. The excellent education they receive Coupled with that honor code produces successful, excellent human beings. You can learn more about this amazing place at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. And it is an amazing place. And the leader of Hillsdale College, Larry Arn, Dr. Larry Arn, is an amazing person. He's not only an expert on Churchill, that would be enough. He's also an expert on the Declaration of Independence. He's absolutely fascinating. And what a magnificent magnificent school this is, Hillsdale College. And notice, they want to reach beyond the classroom to you and me. So check them out at levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. All right, I'm back. My computer screen is back. Pablo, Corpus Christi, Texas. Uh, I don't know, have any idea how you're calling us. Is it, oh, I see, K-E-Y-S. Sorry, go right ahead. Yes, sir. Yeah, uh, the, I wanted to make a comment about what you were saying earlier about, you know, if, uh, if, uh, do, do we need all new people in government to, to conservatives? Uh, I'm looking at the reality of the situation. Um, in an ideal world, we would have 51, uh, Ted Cruz's fighting for, for true conservative values. Look, I'm not, but, I'm not a fool. I served in the Reagan administration for eight years. What I mean by this is you gotta clean out the leadership because they're stuck. And I can tell you we don't need 51 Ted Cruz's. If we have 10, 12 Ted Cruz's or Mike Lee's and so forth, that would be enough. That would be enough to swing the rest and then the rest of them are followers. So, uh, and in terms of an ideal world, uh, what I'm talking about is not idealism. It's conservatism. It's anything but 
uh, an abstraction or a theory. The ideal, that is the abstraction or theory, is when you think it can spend and spend and spend without consequence. And there are going to be consequences for this one day. Yes, sir. But how, how can we, we, we don't, as conservatives, we don't have the votes to, 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 to pass. Do you think Ronald Reagan, when he was president and the Democrats controlled the House of Representatives, and the leader of the Senate was Howard Baker, a, a moderate Republican, do you think Ronald Reagan said, we don't have the votes, we don't have the votes? See, some of you folks are too young to understand what leadership is about, what statesmanship is about. You need to, to effect the body politic. You need to affect the way the people are, are thinking about politics. You need to affect the way people take on issues. You don't just sit back passively and say, we don't have the votes. You go out there and you make the case to the American people time and again, and you get the votes. That's how he got most of what he wanted to get. Not because Democrats in Congress, in the House, wanted to, to help Ronald Reagan. Not because the rhinos in the Senate wanted to help Ronald Reagan. It's because the American people took action. You heard the gentleman before. They called. They sent emails. They made it absolutely clear what they wanted. Right now it's, well, we don't have the votes. We don't have the majority. Tell me, let me ask you this. Does uh, Chuck Schumer have the votes? Uh, yeah, he does. Is he in the minority? Yes, he is. Are there less Democrat senators than Republican senators? Yes, sir. Well, how does he win? Well, I I think we're living in a different world where... No, we're not living in a different world. How does Chuck Schumer win and Mitch McConnell loses? Well, the filibuster rule, whether our reconciliation... The budget process, interestingly enough, has a reconciliation process that only requires a majority of the votes. The reason is he can't keep three or four of his Republican senators in line. That's a failed leader. So, no, we're not going to just throw up our hands here. We're going to talk about who's responsible for what. Which party is responsible for what and what leadership's all about? The problem is we haven't had real leaders. I mean, you've had the Bushes. They weren't real leaders. I'm sorry, they weren't. I'm not saying they were bad people. They were good people. <clears throat> but they're not going to be counted among the top greatest presidents in American history. Trump has the potential of being a real leader in many respects, but he's not here. This is a massive, massive debt that they're creating. And for no reason. I'll be right back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. This is our three. Our number, 877-381-3811. We do have a breaking story here. Um, Democratic Senator Mark Warner of Virginia texted with Russian oligarch lobbyist in an effort to contact dossier author Christopher Steele. This is Ed Henry breaking the news for Fox News. Senator Mark Warner, uh, this guy's a sleazeball, this Mark Warner, the top Democrat on the Senate Intelligence Committee, who's been leading a congressional investigation into President Trump's alleged ties to Russia, had extensive contact last year with a lobbyist for a Russian oligarch who was offering Warner access to former British spy and dossier author Christopher Steele, 
according to text messages obtained exclusively by Fox. You know what I would like to know? How many of these senators and congressmen, how many of them have a contact with Russians or go-betweens with Russia? We have so much to discuss. You need to be careful. But we can help our country, Warner texted the lobbyist, Adam Waldman, on March 22, 2017. I'm in, Waldman said, whose firm has ties to Hillary Clinton. Now, still famously put together, as you know, the anti-Trump dossier of unverified information that was used by FBI and Justice Department officials in October 2016 to get a warrant, as you know. And Steele hasn't testified yet either. He's not agreed to an interview. Secrecy seemed very important to Warner as the conversation with Waldman, the lobbyist, heated up on March 29. The lobbyist revealed that Steele wanted a bipartisan letter from Warner and the committee's chairman, North Carolina Republican Senator Richard Burr, inviting him to talk to the Senate Intelligence Panel. Throughout the text exchanges, Warner seemed particularly intent on connecting directly with Steele, without anyone else on the Senate Intelligence Committee being in the loop, at least initially. In one text to the lobbyist, Warner wrote that he would, quote, rather not have a paper trail, unquote, of his messages. Why? Because it's a gutless wonder sleaze. That's why. An aide to Mark Warner confirmed to Fox News that the text messages are authentic. The messages, which were obtained from a Republican source, are all marked confidential and are not classified. They were turned over to the Senate panel by Waldman last September. Now, Waldman, who did not return calls seeking comments, runs the Endeavor Group in Washington. And Waldman is best known for signing a $40,000 a month retainer in 2009 and 2010 to lobby the U.S. government on behalf of a controversial Russian billionaire, Oleg Derispovska. Derispovska, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, sounds good had his visa revoked by the State Department in 2006 because of charges, which he has denied that he has organized crime ties. So let's just slow down. So Mark Warner is trying to make inroads uh, through a lobbyist, a lobbyist who represents, among others, this controversial Russian billionaire that the State Department has revoked, uh, or the State Department revoked his visa, uh, because they claim he has organized crime ties. An aide to Richard Burr, the feckless, useless Republican chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, told Fox News that Burr was aware of the contact Warner made with Steele's representative, but added, I don't believe he was aware of the content of the text messages initially. What is the use of this, Richard Burr? Can anybody tell me? The senators released a joint statement to Fox News, so they issue a joint statement because Burr is going to try and give cover to his big buddy, Warner, stressing they are working together while blasting the leaks of incomplete information. Now, they don't blast the leaks of incomplete information when it's against Donald Trump, do they? Or Donald Trump Jr.? They said the committee has been in possession of this material for several months. And committee investigators have pursued all relevant investigative leads related to the material. From the beginning of our investigation, we have taken each step in a bipartisan... There's that word bipartisan. Like that fixes everything. The Senate Intelligence Committee up to now has done nothing. It's been the House Intelligence Committee and the Senate Judiciary Committee. 
From the beginning of our investigation, we've taken each step in a bipartisan way, and we intend to continue to do so, Warner and Burr said in a statement. Leaks of incomplete information out of context by anyone, inside or outside the committee, are unacceptable. Good, then give us the context. You have the top Democrat on the Senate Intelligence Committee trying to glean information from Christopher Steele by going through a lobbyist who, among other things, was on the payroll <coughs> of a Russian organized crime billionaire. At least that's the allegation from the State Department that pulled his visa ticket. And here you have Richard Byrd trying to give cover to Warner. I'd say that's pretty amazing. Now, the conversation about Steele started on March 16, 2017, when Waldman texted, Chris Steele asked me to call you. Warner responded, we'll call tomorrow. Be careful. The records show Warner and Waldman had trouble connecting by phone. On March 20, Warner pressed Waldman by text to get him access to Steele. Why was Warner going around the committee structure? Maybe Mr. Burr can inform us. Maybe Mr. Low IQ can inform us. Why was Warner going around the committee to speak to Christopher Steele? Can you talk now? Excuse me. Can you talk tomorrow? Want to get with your English friend, Warner texted. Meaning Steele. Warner, he's so clever. If I say English friend, they won't know that I mean Christopher Steele. I spoke to him yesterday, Walman texted. The two men appear to have finally connected about Steele by phone. On March 22, according to the records. Hey, just tried you again. Got to give a speech, but really want to finish our talk, Warner texted. Now, Waldman, the lobbyist, at one point texted back that Steele really wanted a bipartisan letter requesting his first testimony. He added that Steele was concerned about word leaking to the media that they were talking. In one text, Senator Warner suggested he did not want Burr or any other senator included in the discussions. Okay, but I would like to do preliminary call, you, me, and him, no one else, before letter just, so we have to trail. Uh, does, uh, does Mr. Warner know how to write English? Does he know how to speak English? Does he know how to write properly? Okay, this is uh, Warner. But I would like to do prelim, call, you, me, and him, no one else, before letter, just so we have... To trail to start, want to discuss scope first before letter no leaks. What an idiot. Wallman noted repeatedly that Steele was concerned about leaks and was spooked by all the attention he had received around the world. Steele, he said, was skittish about talking to Warner. Why? It's incomprehensible. He's speaking in pig Latin. Warner texted back on March 30th. We want to do this right, private in London. Don't want to send letter yet, because if we can't get agreement, would rather not have paper trail. You see, over and over, over and over, Warner doesn't want a paper trail. Now, if there's nothing wrong with any of this, then why is Warner conducting himself as if he himself is a mobster? On April 5, Warner texted, any word on Steele, so you see how aggressive he is trying to get a hold of Steele and go around the committee. But Richard Burr sees no problem with this whatsoever. So, Wallman, the lobbyist, writes him back. Yes, seems to have cold feet from leaks. Said he wanted a bipartisan letter followed by written questions. In the text messages, Warner also discussed the possibility of a trip to sea steal. 
A March 23, Warner texted, need to coordinate date for trip. Can you talk with my scheduler? Also want to discuss Paul, an apparent reference to former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort, whose initials are used in the next text by Waldman. Can you believe this? Unbelievable to me. On March 26, Warner, Senator Warner texted, really need to set date. Things are going to really pick up. Standing by to do it, texted Wallman, the lobbyist, awaiting call from your scheduler and also the letter he, Steele, would like, uh, which they discussed. And have second interesting thing to raise. Please call. But after calls back and forth, Warner made clear that he wanted to talk to Steele directly without Burr or anyone else being involved, even though Steele was insisting through Wallman that the contact start with a bipartisan letter inviting him to cooperate with the Senate panel. In other words, this sleazebag... Christopher Steele, who wrote the dossier, has more ethics than the sleazebag Democrat senator, the ranking member of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Mark Warner. Hey, can't we do brief off the record call today before letter so I can frame letter, Warner texted Wallman on March 29. Steele wants to have letter first. Or did you mean call with me, Wallman texts? Anyway, you get the point. You get the point. So you have Schiff, who thinks he's getting information, dirt on Trump, naked pictures, in order to do what? Blackmail the president? Force him out of office? Do what? And he goes around the committee. You have Warner, who goes around the committee, who wants to get a hold of Steele, doesn't want Burr involved, doesn't want the committee involved, doesn't want anyone else involved, wants to talk about Trump, and also wants to talk about Manafort. And Richard Burr, the idiot chairman, the Republican idiot chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, doesn't find anything really wrong with this. So he issues a joint letter. Bipartisanship, ladies and gentlemen, bipartisanship. I'll be right back. Lovin. Mr. Producer, just to show you how repulsive and stupid some people are, that would be Joe, the morning schmo Scarborough, Mrs. Schmo, his future wife. Uh, let's go to cut nine. Go. Let's focus on the President of the United States and the entire Republican Party. That They have been furiously pushing out one conspiracy theory after another. We could go through all of them, uh, but we'll just we'll touch on the Harry Potter. Hey, dummy, the biggest conspiracy theory is that there was collusion between the Russians and Trump. Now, I know that dummies like you of the deliverance type don't quite get that, and I know that uh, you get paid a lot of money for four viewers on MSLSD, so you're a complete sellout. But you're, now you're embarrassing your family. You're so stupid. Go ahead. Uh, theory that Ron Johnson had. We can talk about Uranium One, which was a complete bust. There was, there, you know, for, for, for a long time, they were suggesting that the Russians had somehow gotten our uranium and taken it over to Russia, and we're going to build bombs and blow uh, up. No, they didn't, dummy. Why can't you stick with the facts? Why can't you stick with the facts? Go ahead. That story ended up being false. The President of the United States, all caps yesterday, suggesting bombshells. That story ended up being false, you moron. 
20% of our uranium production is controlled by Russia. Go ahead. Homeland Security chairman saying this proves that Barack Obama was involved in the Hillary Clinton investigation, which had been concluded about a month earlier. I mean, it's one conspiracy theory after another. After hey, dummy, another. Uh, as I tried to educate you, but it's not really possible at this point in your life. Uh, that text, well, it didn't have anything, in my view, to do with Hillary Clinton's email investigation because that cover up and obstruction was completed before then. Uh, it had everything to do with Russia. Even the Wall Street Journal piece, uh, even though it was a set-up piece by surrogates for Stroke and Page, said that it was Russia, that the president wanted to know about Russia. And three days before the, the date of the text, as CNS News has pointed out, uh, a very strongly written letter by Democrats in Congress went to the FBI, among others, demanding an investigation of Trump and his supposed connections to Russia. So why don't you pay attention, you idiot, rather than trashing everybody? Go ahead. By the White House senators. Matter of fact, uh, what, how many how many more sexual harassers and plagiarists are you going to have on that bizarre panel of yours? Ooh, look at this, Mika. We have quite the panel here. Yes, we do, Joe. Go ahead. Media people. Uh, I mean, w- and, and here's can, what can is- Americans even keep up with this? All the lies that they're spewing out are easily proven. The lies are easily proven. Another one who doesn't understand English. Well, where was Mika? Yeah. Yes, Joe. Yes. Right, Joe. Yes. You know, since he's been dating her over the past many years and is engaged to her now, and eventually it'll be a lovely couple. He's moved far left. So she has quite a hold on him, I suppose. But he is a big dummy. He was always a big dummy. What did he serve in Congress for about three years, six years, something like that? He wanted to be a radio host. He tried. He failed. He wanted to be on Fox. They wouldn't have anything to do with him. So where did he wind up? Where everybody winds up who's a failure? On MSLSD. And there he is with his stupid morning show. And the only people who like it are the North Korean generals. They think it's great because he's trashing his president. Now, a year ago this time, Scarborough had his head so far up the president's you-know-what, it was uh, it was embarrassing. I've told you this before. You remember when the president gave his speech about a year ago to a joint session of Congress? And there was Joe Scarborough jumping up and down like a clapping seal. And he wanted to be seen jumping up and down like a clapping seal. But now he hates Trump, so it's hate Trump every day. And everybody else has conspiracy theories. What's wrong with the Republicans? Now, the truth is Joe Scarborough should be over on CNN. Yes, because CNN could use a guy like this. They could add to their conga line of left-wing kooks, which is what Joe Scarborough has become. All righty. Let's take a call here. Donald, Burlington, North Carolina, on the Mark Levin app. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Okay. Just disappointed in our uh, Senator Burr, uh, some of his comments on the Mark Warner thing that I heard this evening earlier. Yeah, he's a disgrace. Yeah, these guys, they get in there, they sound good, then they get pulled behind the curtain and shown that they need to play the game with everybody and uh, nobody stands but, but up. you know this this guy's given cover to Warner even though Warner goes around the committee Burr has trash Nunes who's doing heroic work but in the case of Warner 
he gives them cover. You know, it's like the Stockholm syndrome, isn't it? When they get in the Senate. I don't understand it. I just, I, it's just kind of sickening. And um, you know, he's, this is his last time, and he's not going to run anymore. So hopefully, he can get a conservative in there, a good one, who I don't know, but. Yeah, he's not going to run again, so, you know, uh, he doesn't have any constraints. So he'll be a uh, idiot all the time rather than just part of the time. Yeah. All right, sir, thank What's that? I said, what's wrong with these guys? They get in there and nobody will. Trump showed what a leader would do. If you had, all you need is somebody to stand up and, some, and people will follow you. The voters did, but the people in the Senate and the Congress don't seem to understand that. Everything Trump does, abstraction, abstraction, he's abstracting, he's abstracting, abstracting. This clown, Warner going through back circles, through the back door to try and get a hold of this Christopher Steele. He doesn't even want his chairman to know. He doesn't want anybody on the committee to know. And uh, we work very well in a bipartisan way. It's pathetic. All right, Donald. You still have a lovely state. You just have a pathetic senator. We'll be right back. It's true that Mark Levin is the fastest growing radio show in America. The Mark Levin Show is on at 877-381-3811. Well, feminists, I'm seeing now, uh, want Macy's to sell hijabs. Did you hear that one, Mr. Producer? Oh, yeah. Wouldn't that be great? Hijabs, 20% off. and Just lovely. Uh, speaking of people who should wear hijabs, no, I better not say that. Anyway, uh, Mika Brzezinski, what what kind of show would it be only playing the morning schmo and not Mrs. Schmo? I'd say she's the better half, but there is no better half with these two. But let's ha- let's listen to her genius, shall we? Cut 12, go. The 77-year-old Democrat did it. Uh, without- now, this is Pelosi she's talking about. Start again. Go ahead. The 77-year-old Democrat did it without taking a bathroom break and in four-inch heels. Well, how do we know she wasn't wearing Depends? How do we know Nancy Pelosi wasn't wearing Depends, quite frankly? Oh, she did it without taking a bathroom break. Wow. What a special woman. Go ahead. Joe, I I also, um, just listening to... Her words just now. Yeah. I think it's a, a lot of conversations that is happening on many levels. I mean, many we... levels. Yes, many levels. She's really a many-level person, that Pelosi. Go ahead. About it, it feels like a lot of people who love this country feel very helpless right now. Yes. Not yes. just because of the president's concerning behavior. Yes. Racism, misogyny. What? And you sicko! Racism and misogyny. You are a mental case. May I say you're deranged? Oh, yes, yes. I mean, if you can say it about Trump, I think we can say it about you. And who can forget that wonderful father of yours who worked for Jimmy Carter and despised Israel? Oh, part of the Brzezinski clan. Go ahead. Lack of any depth of knowledge on any issue. Oh, wow. But you've got enormous depth, Mika. Enormous depth. And you display it every morning, don't you? Yes, Joe. Yes, Joe. Yes, Joe. That's great depth. Go ahead. 
uh, as well as being completely unpredictable and rude. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Completely unpredictable? Is that what she just said, Mr. Producer? Did she say completely unpredictable? Well, I'm sure she meant unpredictable. But, you know, she's very deep, ladies and gentlemen. This is the point. She has great depth, unlike the president. And she's very unpredictable. Go ahead. But it's the compliance by so many Republicans and the blindness to this behavior. Oh, we're so and blind and compliant to the behavior of our president. Oh, isn't it terrible? Now, we support the president when we believe he deserves support. We oppose when we believe he should be opposed, unlike all of you Obama-files who supported him every, every step of the way. In fact, you not only supported him, you slobbered all over him. Slobbered all over Obama. Look how you're slobbering all over Pelosi. The 77-year-old Democrat did it without taking a bathroom break and in four-inch heels. Wow. That's incredible. What a lady. Go ahead. Leaves everyone else who loves this country and just wants to hold it together feeling helpless and just wants to do something yeah. Yeah. on DACA. I think. Yeah. Uh-oh, wait a minute. Here comes our modern-day Aristotle. Deliverance boy. Go ahead. Shock. Again, we've said it before. It's uh, I've said Well, then it. why not say it over and over and over again? Because you can't do much else. You know, Mika, as I said before, and I like quoting myself, Mika. Go ahead. And again, that our founders actually foresaw the rise of sure. a, an autocrat. Uh, 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 somebody who wanted to be an autocrat, somebody who wanted to be a tyrant, becoming president of the United States. Listen, listen. Stop talking about Obama that way, you schmo. I resent it. Stop talking about Obama that way. What, are you racist? Yes, he is. Must be. Can't talk about the great Obama this way. Go ahead. They never, ever believed for a moment. They never even could allow themselves to imagine... Now, wait a minute. This guy, <laughs> so the founders could not even allow themselves to imagine. See, Joe Scarborough knows what they could and couldn't imagine. <clears throat> could they imagine a loathsome dolt like you on something called cable TV? I don't think they could have imagined that, Joey. Go ahead. When that happened in the executive branch, that the legislative branch that Hamilton yeah. and Madison put to check the excesses and abuses of the executive branch, that they would be so compliant time and time again. What is he rambling on about? What is he suggesting? I don't even know what he's suggesting here. He is a rambling buffoon. Rambling buffoon. And uh, there you have the, uh, the Scarboroughs. Do you think I'll be invited to their wedding, Mr. Producer? Front row, do you think they'll go to Las Vegas and get married by an Elvis, maybe? I don't know. It's one wedding I definitely wouldn't want to go to, I can tell you that. Now, remember that New Year's resolution you made to put your IRS problems behind you? Well, it's February, and you're still living in fear of the IRS, right? Your fear that today is the day they show up at work, garnish your wages, and freeze your bank accounts? Well, let me encourage you with an actual case from my friends at Optima Tax Relief. Like you, Charles dragged his IRS problems well into the new year before calling Optima Tax Relief. 
Optima quickly stepped between Charles and the IRS, protected his assets, and resolved this tax problem. Optima knows that behind every tax problem are good people, people with families and homes and savings and paychecks that need protection, which explains how they've resolved over a half a billion dollars in tax debt for their clients, and they're A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau. Call Optima Tax Relief at 800-499-6300, 800-499-6300. That's 800-499-6300. Boy, that, uh, that team of uh, Scarborough and Brzezinski, I mean, there hasn't been such a team since Sacco and Vancetti, Mr. Producer. No. Sacco and Vancetti. No, no, no. This, this team is better. All right. Let's see here. Let's take some calls. How about Brian in San Francisco, the great KSFO? Go right ahead. Hey, Mark, long-time listener. Love your show. Uh, Trump Trump supporter, voter, but our president just is starting to leave a little doubts in my mind, really? yes. and I just wanted to get your thoughts on this. I mean, sure. do you think that he should be confronted and sit down with Robert Mueller with everything going on. I mean, as our president, being forthcoming, truthful, and honest, um, I feel that he should do that. You're a liberal, aren't you, sir? Well, you know, look, I listen to your show. I listen to Hannity. I watch Rachel. Well, I'm I'm talking for myself, sir. Now, let's walk through this because you, you lay a completely false foundation, and that's your intention. So if the President of the United States doesn't talk to a federal prosecutor who has as his purpose to prosecute him, uh, then uh, he's not honest. Is that, weird? Is that what you're saying? Disagree with you. What's that? I'm, I'm saying that as our President, to clear the air and clear all the doubt. But that doesn't clear the air. How does that clear the air? So you're telling me if, I, if a federal... No, I'm asking you the question. How does that clear the air? If a federal prosecutor confronts me... I'm I a lawyer. If a federal prosecutor wants to talk to my client, if I don't have certain protections in place, I say no. And why would you say no? Well, why would you think I would say no, Brian? Well, as the President of the United States... You, I, I know he's the President of the United States. You can't possibly be this stupid. I'm not possibly stupid. That's why I'm listening to you. I show. think you are. I, I really do. So he should go talk to the prosecutor without any protections in place and try and convince the prosecutor that he's innocent of crimes that have not been committed. A prosecutor's office that is leaking repeatedly to the media that they're trying to build an obstruction case against the president of the United States. And you think he ought to just walk in and talk to the prosecutor. Is that right? Well, he's the one that said I'll be willing to All right. To thanks for me. your call. It can't help it, folks. There you are. And then he pretends to be conservative. He can't even be honest about what he is. About what he is. Let's continue. And by the way, the president and I and millions of us, we don't have to prove ourselves to the Bryans of this world. Period. It's not a political situation. It's a criminal investigation. A criminal investigation where they're looking for process crimes. And so, of course, the President of the United States should not talk to such an individual. Well, Mark, you know, they can subpoena him and drag him in front of the grand jury. Well, it depends, doesn't it? 
if he's the target in the investigation, <clears throat> actually, it's a little bit more complicated than that. And uh, I also think the potential exists where you go all the way to the Supreme Court and you and you make your case. Excuse me, I'm battling the flu. I'm doing the best I can. You make your case, your constitutional case, that this guy's out of line. That the fact that he's trying to question me, the President of the United States, about my official constitutional duties is not something that he's able to do. Period. But Brian, that would be over Brian's head, you know. Todd, Atlanta, Georgia, the great W-Y-A-Y. Go. Yes, I'm uh, concerned about the debt, and I'm glad that people are taking a stand against it. And what's uh, bothering me is that the interest rates are starting to go up and what that is going to mean to our service of this debt. And also, it's an economic weapon. Most of this money is owed to China. So, yeah. Actually, most of it's not. Some of it is. You're talking oh, about okay. $21 trillion. We owe China about a trillion. Most of it's owed to ourselves, meaning our grandchildren and great-grandchildren and all the rest into the foreseeable future. This is their burden. We just keep adding to their burden, adding to their burden, adding to their burden, and it is grotesque to me. It is immoral. It is unconscionable. And we're supposed to be happy because we have a bipartisan deal, a bipartisan deal that that will certainly sink future generations. Well, It's just pathetic. Bipartisan. The $20 trillion in debt was bipartisan, you know? <laughs> yep. You're right. All right. Well, God bless. God bless you, too. Thank you for your call. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. People have been asking me, Mark, what is your opinion on this suggestion by the president that we have a military parade? And, of course, this has been a big issue all over talk radio, I understand. I believe in honoring our military. I have no problem with it whatsoever. As a matter of fact, I'd like to see it. And I want our enemies to see it, too. I mean, we paid for this hardware. I've got no problem with it whatsoever. The left's all upset about it. They don't mind gay pride uh, marches or this march or that march or transgender marches or uh, marches against America, marches for illegal aliens and DACA, marches for this, marches for that. In fact, they favor riots. Violence. So, no, I don't have a problem with it all. As a matter of fact, I'd like to see it. I want to see our newest tanks, some of our newest missiles. <clears throat> Maybe have some of our great jets fly over and bombers fly over. No, not because we're like North Korea, you idiots on MSNBC. It's because we're Americans and we take pride in our military. As opposed to you, who seek to eviscerate our military and then blackmail it for more funds for domestic spending, if you will. We're not North Korea. And because we have a military parade doesn't make us North Korea. That's how stupid this is. So I would like to see a military parade. <clears throat> I'd like to be invited to sit there in the front row and watch it, too. What do you think of that? In fact, I'd like another parade, a parade of our cops. Cops from all over the country. Every police department represented. I'd like to see that, too. Does that make us Cuba? And by the way, you liberals, you like Cuba. So what the hell's the problem? Uh, let's see here. Yes. If you've ever stumbled through a social media site around Valentine's, you know women love to show off what their boyfriend or husband surprised them with. 
So this year, be the one who wins Valentine's with 1-800-Flowers.com. And right now, when you order early, like now, you can get 18 pink and red enchanted roses for only $29.99. Valentine's Day is a week away, so don't put this off. Get 18 pink and red enchanted roses for only $29.99 from 1-800-Flowers. I don't know how much longer this is going to last. If I were you, I would jump in now. This gorgeous bouquet of radiant pink and red roses is the perfect Valentine's surprise she's guaranteed to love. And she'll never guess how great of a deal you scored either. I'm not going to tell her. Roses from 1-800-Flowers.com are picked at their peak and shipped overnight to ensure freshness and her amazement. 18 red and pink enchanted roses for only $29.99 is a great reward for thinking ahead and ordering early. Make sure you lock in this offer. Only good while supplies last which means you got to hurry. I'm serious. I say this every year. When it comes to Valentine's, I don't settle for anything less than my rose authority, 1-800-Flowers.com. So to order 18 red and pink enchanted roses for only $29.99, go to 1-800-Flowers.com, click the radio icon, and then enter code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N. Again, order today and save. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com, code LEVIN, 1-800-Flowers.com, code L-E-V-I-N. All right. So the Democrats don't mind marches, as long as they're marching against the country, right? As long as you're marching with some hate speech against the country. Uh, They'll defend the Nazis marching, you know, uh, Skokie and other places. Yeah, sure, sure. The military. Wow, what are we, a dictatorship? Since when is supporting the military... And giving the military an opportunity to show us, the whole world, the whole nation, you know, to give, to show off. Since when is that uh, a dictatorship? These leftists are so moronic. It's not even funny. What are you, North Korea? North Korea? All right. Let's continue. Cheryl, Oklahoma City, the great KTOK. Go. Good evening, Mr. Levin. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. So, listening to this spending bill that they're trying that they they're trying to pass, um, I feel even double unsecure about it because in Oklahoma, we today the state law lawmakers passed a series of bills that will raise our taxes by seven hundred twelve million dollars. Cool. So, I'm just like, where does it end? It's called the step up plan. Um, the only thing I like about it is it gives our teachers a five thousand dollar pay raise, which they deeply deserve. But well, they don't. Some do, and some don't. Exactly, some do, and it should be merit based. Why? Why? Why is it that every teacher deserves a pay increase? They don't. Some Otherwise, teachers do, and some teachers don't. The good teachers do, and the other ones don't. That's right. And I'm I'm kind of hoping tomorrow when it goes to the, I think it has to go through the Senate now. It's gone through the House, but. These series of eight bills, I mean, I hope some of it's really unconstitutional, and they keep trying to pass this cigarette tax, tobacco tax. You know what they say, as Oklahoma goes, so goes the nation. (laughs) All right, Cheryl, I appreciate your call. Well, look at me. I mean, I have a home in Florida. They increased my property taxes 20%. 20%. Do I get anything more for it? No. goes to some other schlub. goes to some other schlub. Well, at least you can afford it. I can't afford it forever. That I can tell you. Nobody cares. Whatever. Well, here we are. Ladies and gentlemen, 
We salute the armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. And if I feel up to it, given this flu, I will see you tomorrow. That's my my goal. And I hope you have a wonderful evening. God bless you.